do design decisions involve value judgments? Andy Halliwell has gone and posted this question on LinkedIn as part of our redesigning D&T project and debates. I think this is a really tricky one to answer and our expert group felt that it was an important question that needed debating. Do design decisions involve value judgments? I think firstly, I'd be saying, what do you mean by a value judgment, a values judgment? And maybe in your response to Andy's question, you'll explore what you understand and what your views are of what value judgments are and then whether they actually impinge on or affect the design decisions that designers make and also that children make in D&T lessons. So do join the debate. We're always open to conversation and discussion on this. But for now, on to the next episode. What do I think we can do to support design and technology in its development? You're listening to the Talking D&T podcast. I'm Dr. Alison Hardy, a writer, researcher and advocate of design and technology education. In each episode, I share views, news and opinions about D&T. I'm going to be reading from some notes that I've shared with a group of people um, at an event that was hosted by the Design Council, which was about what were the issues um, and the impact and what could be the solutions around the decline of design and technology education. I'm just going to give an overview in this podcast episode about what I said, and I'll attach um, my notes. But I'm going to go into more detail in a follow-up podcast, which will be available later this week for people who have subscribed to the premium content. So this is the general notes that I gave on Friday the 29th of uh, September, as I said, down in London at an event hosted by the Design Council. I'm not able to share an awful lot more about it, about who was there, because it wasn't it wasn't my event. But I want to share what I've said um, and what I propose. So I was asked to contribute to uh, the section about what could be done. OK, so this is this is what I'm suggesting. I, I suggest that shifting the mindset about the purpose and value of design and technology is a key step for addressing the challenges faced by D&T. We need to work with the teaching workforce that we have, recognising the lack of agency they have due to, due to localised interpretation of government policy, such as school performance measures, Ofsted framework and limited understanding of the uniqueness of D&T. I also believe that actions are made and decisions are made at different levels of influence that impact on design and technology education. Some of these are unintended consequences of actions, but some are intended. But either way, there are decisions made at a macro level. That's with governments and national organisations. Some that are made at a more local level. I would call that MISO, which is school and regional levels. And then the micro, which is teachers, parents and pupils. Now, please don't read anything into those macro, meso and micro labels as implying that one is better than the other. It's just a, a description of the different levels and different spaces where actions and decisions take place that influence design and technology. And so then now I'm going to focus on what could be done to address the situation with DNT at the meso and micro level. That's with teachers, parents, pupils and schools. However, I believe that government and national organisations need to support these actions for change to happen in schools and classrooms. For a policy or cultural change, we do need to find those with power at each level and collaborate with them. 
And that's why I think it's important to talk about these three different levels, the macro, meso and micro, because there's different people at each level who have the power to make the change. And we can make changes at a macro level, but there's no saying that that will change what happens at the school or classroom level. Just because a new curriculum, for example, or a new policy or more funding comes in doesn't necessarily mean that will actually directly affect what happens in schools and in classrooms. So there's different aspects that I places and spaces that I think we can uh, sort of work with and take some key steps. So I think there's a first is about values and impact of design and technology. So the focus on the economy and the potential return on investment in design and technology through employment, creativity and manufacture, in my belief, has limited mileage in demonstrating the impact of the decline on design and technology for two reasons. One, we have little or no published evidence for the causal link between GCSE and A-level D&D and the country's GDP or an individual's income. What I mean by that is if a child has studied GCSE or A-level D&T, we don't have any evidence that says that makes a difference to their income or their careers. And then secondly, given the lack of requirement by industry and higher education for qualification in D&T, it's difficult to argue that the subject does contribute to either GDP or an individual's income. And what I mean there is we're seeing a decline in higher education requesting A-level D&T, and that's for all sorts of reasons, and I'll explore those in the second podcast for this week that'll be coming out later for this week for subscribers. However, I do think we do need to think about this return on investment. That is the way of speaking to government. So maybe there are actions that we can take. So I've proposed that firstly, we actually do fund some research to see if there is data for a longitudinal study about the career, health and education of the participants who took part in a millennium cohort study and whether they studied D&T. So let me just step back a little bit there about um, what do I mean by the Millennium Cohort Studies. The Millennium Cohort Study, and I'll put a link in the show notes, is a a study that's been going on for about 20 years, collecting information um, from birth right the way through life about qualifications, lifestyle, health, uh, income and so on. And I believe that there is data within that that needs exploring um, about what qualifications people have in relationship to DNT, and we can kind of do a relationship analysis about whether that is related to career health and education in comparison to other subjects and particular careers so that's what that's about I think we need some funding for that and then the second thing that I think we can do in terms of thinking about return on investment in persuading government is that there is low recruitment and retention of DNT teachers. We know that from the figures that are just recently out that only 26% of the target set by the government for recruitment of student teachers into DNT has been hit. So that means we've got a 74% gap. And I think there's reasons for that and they're, they're complex, but there are there is some research that indicates that there's the lack of agency, that people are seeing that teachers don't have a lot of agency or choice, that it's so much government directive or the way it's been interpreted by local schools. There's limited support to critique and develop good DNT curriculum models. So there's a lack of investment in schools and regionally to support teachers in being able to critique and develop their own curriculum. There's a suggestion about impositions possibly too far um, about, about whether Uh, nationally designed models can be taken on into local schools. I'm not convinced and I'll talk about that in the uh, follow-on podcast about this. 
So one of my actions is that we need to provide bursaries each year for the subject. It has just gone up to 25,000, but it does change every year. We need to ensure high quality initial teacher education and enable D&T teachers to critique critical curriculum practice. That's their own and that of others. OK, that's giving people space to do this and developing their abilities to do that. So I'd say that people don't have the ability to do that, but it's more about the space and the time to do it. So in the second area that I think we could do some work in uh, developing change is in the D&T curriculum. So there has been talk of a new curriculum for D&T or for design education. And I think that for me, this needs to be approached with caution. Firstly, because a new curriculum is often implemented from the top down with some involvement from schools and teachers. And this approach reduces teacher agency and adds to their workload, which is something the government in England is trying to address. So I think a new curriculum is is another burden and not necessarily a solution unless there's any direct funding into schools that is ring-fenced for developing D&T teachers. Highly unlikely that would happen, in my view. So why I think this is um, important to think about is another reason about if we bring in a new curriculum is that my research shows and research from others shows that different values affect the successful or unsuccessful implementation of a curriculum. There is a tension between the values of those at national and local level and in the classroom between teachers and pupils. So again, what I mean here is that we can have the intended curriculum, the published curriculum, but actually then what is taught and how it is interpreted and how it is received is dependent on the person who's doing the teaching, the implementation and the receiving and what they value. So a new curriculum, I believe, is unlikely to resolve this tension. I think we need to better understand and empathise with what people and groups value about design and technology education. The perceptions and actions of people at these levels ultimately shape the impact or not of any changes made at macro level. Okay, so again, what I'm saying is what happens at government level, what happens at national level with a new curriculum can be all well and good and all nice and shiny and all done with the best of intentions. But actually, if teachers aren't supported, if schools aren't supporting their teachers, if there isn't a D&T teacher in the school who has an understanding of that, then nothing will necessarily change. We might change the title, hopefully not, but that won't necessarily change the content and the way it's delivered and the status and the value of it and therefore increase the numbers. Number two, the existing curriculum, I believe, can accommodate important topics such as sustainability. Design responds to different issues and contexts as they arrive. Arise. This is the subject's strength, which is built on an enduring epistemology. Changing the subject's content, I believe, when a new issue arises, weakens the validity of the subject. The current curriculum is sufficient and different contexts for developing pupils' ability in D&T are possible, I think, within the, national, the current national curriculum. I've got an aside there which I'll explore in the follow-up pod- podcast around the GCSEs. And then my third area is that I think is about teacher agency and empowerment is where I think um, change can happen and I think where investment would have a biggest impact along with the other two. Is investing in the professional development of design and technology teachers is a sensible approach. Teachers need the agency to shape what they are doing in their classrooms and school departments so they become reflective, critical practitioners improving their practice. And I see teachers crying out for this. Um, I've seen the, the fantastic initiative from Liam Anderson recently about peer reviewing curriculum. Um, I've seen 
you know, teachers discussing stuff on Facebook and giving feedback, not necessarily always the most constructive feedback, but people are there having debates. Um, and I think that needs to be developed where people are held in a professional way to account and knowing that their work is going to be supported and challenged. I think that's healthy. Um, but I think there's quite a skill in being a critical practitioner, um, which I think is where some investment could be made to help teachers and support teachers in having the space, the time and the capacity to do this. And I've done a couple of projects where I've, I've tried to do this and, and build this capacity um, through professional development with teachers by working alongside teachers rather than me telling teachers. Um, the first one is the Redesigning DNT project, which I'm facilitating with three teachers, Amanda Mason, Kieran Ellis and Andrew Halliwell. And that project is about empowering teachers to lead a research project about curriculum, designing curriculum delivery models and leading debate about some of the contentious issues in DNT. So I see my role there is as in providing a support for those three teachers to do that work and then for them to support other teachers in engaging and supporting and writing and debating and and talking about some of these issues in design technology and what a good curriculum delivery model looks like. I don't like that language, curriculum delivery model, but that's the best I can come up with at the moment. And then the second project that I've done that I think is around teacher agency and empowerment is the BRACE project, which is the Building Research Capacity and Engagement in DT, which I started last year, where teachers were mentored in sharing their own research with a national and international audience, plus shaping the research agenda for DT. I don't think it's me that has the solutions to what the research should be in design and technology, but I really do like bringing people together to debate that. And that's what that project was last year. And we've had a couple of outputs from that and one being the Researching DNT website. So to summarise, this was my call to action that I shared um, at this Design Council event. Is firstly, I think we need to get some funding to analyse the data for the Millennium Cohort Studies to see if there is uh, opportunity, whether there is data there that shows a link between studying DNT, health, wellbeing and careers. I think we then need to recruit and retain teachers by consistently providing bursaries, developing ITE provision and empowering teachers to critique and develop coherent curriculum models. I think then thirdly, we need to understand how different groups at different levels value DNT and look to empathise with these values rather than sideline the non-economic ones. And I'll expand on that in the next podcast. And then fourthly, I think we need to use the current DNT national curriculum to create better practice and outcomes for pupils and teachers. And fifthly, work with teachers to support them in developing agency and critical capacities. So those are my views. Those are my views alone. I'm not claiming that they're anybody else's and you may well disagree or you may well have others. Um, other people share different views. It's not my place here to share what those are. I've, I've invited some of those people onto the podcast to come and talk about those in future episodes in a series that I'm doing around shaping design and technology education. So those are my views about what I thought we could do, what where the investment would be, have the most impact in terms of supporting uh, and develop the development of design and technology as a as a stronger subject in schools. I'm open to knowing what you think. And um, there's going to be a follow up podcast which will be available later this week for those people who have uh, subscribed to the um, podcast or have um, contributed through Patreon. As ever, thanks for listening, and I'm open to feedback and comments. I'm Dr. Alison Hardy, and you've been listening to the Talking DNT podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, then do subscribe on whatever platform you use, and do consider leaving a review as it does help others find the podcast. 
I do the podcast because I want to support the DNT community in developing their practice. So please do share the podcast with your DNT community. If you want to respond to something I've talked about or have an idea for a future episode, then either leave me a voice memo via SpeakPipe or drop me an email. You can find details about me, the podcast and how to connect with me on my website, dralisonhardy.com. Also, if you want to support the podcast financially, you can become a patron. Links to SpeakPipe, Patreon and my website are in the show notes. Thanks for listening.